John chapter 3 tonight, if you would take your Bible, join me in John chapter number 3, and uh, we'll be there again for our text this evening. Now, I was thinking back, um, you know, reminiscing about um, my old times, and of course, my old times are getting older as days go by, um, but I can still remember these, uh, you know, days of old for me, and they do seem like, like, Everyone of some age says they seem like they were but yesterday, you know. When I was a kid, I started going to school. I did a, a first visit day when I was four years old, and I went to visit. Uh, they had a special day at school where you would go and kind of experience, you know, a couple hours of what a day at school would be like. And that was my school. It was a couple uh, blocks away from my house. We walked to school, and um, it was called Lincoln Elementary School in Adrian, Michigan. So that's where I went to elementary school, kindergarten through fifth grade. And one of the things I was looking forward to, of course, when I went to visit Lincoln and I went to class, um, um, trying to think of my teacher's names. First grade, I, I, oh, Mrs. Joseph was my kindergarten teacher. Mrs. Skeels was my first grade teacher. Second grade teacher, I can't remember the name of my second grade teacher. Third grade, I remember her name because her name was Mrs. Chambers and her classroom was actually in the basement of Lincoln Elementary and we called it the Chambers of Death, okay? So that was third grade. Mrs. Harbor was fourth grade. Miss Avildsen, Miss Avildsen was fifth grade. I had a secret crush on Miss Ableton. Don't tell anybody, all right? <laughs> and uh, that was, I, I, I still can't remember my second grade teacher's name. That is completely lost to me. Oh, I know what it was. Oh. Okay, so in second grade, I tell a story about this. In second grade, I cheated on a word. I know. I'm, confession is good for the soul, okay? <laughs> I can't believe I couldn't remember this, but yeah, I, I'll tell you the whole story sometime, but I cheated on the word cow in class. And my teacher's name was Mrs. Heffron. <laughs> so that's Lincoln Elementary School. Okay, so you say, well, why are you telling me all about Lincoln? Well, when I was uh, you know, going for a visit and then obviously I'm going there for, for class, I was really excited about the playground the playground. Now, we had a real deal playground, okay? So, I mean, we had the kind of playground where you could get hurt on the playground equipment. Today, you know, when we were putting in playgrounds and stuff and in our previous church, you had to have like, you had to bubble wrap children before you would send them out to the playground because they might hurt and, you know, fall and hurt themselves. Uh, this, is, this is like an old-time playground. So look at this one. Look at this picture. I have a couple pictures. <laughs> that is a playground. You know what I'm saying? I mean, now, you know, that picture was taken a while ago. None of those children are still living. <laughs> they all died on the playground, okay? I mean, can you imagine that? Look at that. Go have fun, kids, you know, and they... And they did. Okay, here's, here's another one. This was, now, we had this kind of stuff, you know? Those are some serious swings, right? And what's the deal with the ladder on the side of the swing? <laughs> I don't know. That's for, I don't know. I don't know what that's for. I'm not going to speculate. But, and look at the kids standing up, you know? 
Okay, now this we had on our playground. This was on our playground. And that's just like broken teeth waiting to happen. You know what I mean? Actually, you didn't have to put gravel down below. It was just children's broken teeth. And so that was what we had. Um, and then how about this, okay? Yeah, there we go. Now, how many of you, how many of you ever just got tossed from one of those things like a rag doll? Yeah, that's dangerous. And that's some of your problem right now. Some of you residual damage from, from the merry-go-round. Man, I'm telling you, we, we did some serious stuff. You get those things, you know, going so fast that you're just holding on for dear life. And then there's some poor four-year-old and he's just hanging on. And you're like, no, I'm pushing until he flies, you know, and so... And now this is what we've come to today. <laughs> Seriously, does that look like fun? I don't know, can you go back to the first picture back in the media room, can you go, there we go. Okay, now that's a playground. Now go back to the uh, current, oh, that is, that is really sad, but this is, this is our day, okay? Now, again, this is, this is not the most exciting of the playground equipment, but I will tell you, I just, I did love playing on this next one, all right? So look at the next one. I really loved the seesaw, the teeter-totter, okay? And the, the bigger the angle, the longer the seesaw, the, the better fun you would have, right? And um, now, normally the ones that we had were made out of wood, okay? So they're just wooden, sometimes cracked and everything, and, and a little iffy, like if, you, you know, depending on who you have on other side, maybe nobody's going to have fun, you know what I'm saying? But if you get a good teeter-totter, a good seesaw, man, how many of you were ever actually ejected from a teeter-totter? Because, yeah, I mean, and then some of you, you're just... You're, you're like of the devil. I'm just going to say it, okay? Did you ever, you know, you, you had someone else up and then you just stepped off the deal? Yeah, yeah, I'm talking to you, pal. Yeah, it's not funny either, okay? So, so but a, a teeter-totter, man, I mean, they're just a lot of fun. The bigger, the better. And they're really removing these from playgrounds everywhere. And I'm sure they have some little, you know, one that has hydraulics, you know, you know. But to get on a really good seesaw, teeter-totter, I mean, to get on one of those and just jump. And, you know, the other person goes flying and, and you jump and back and forth. Now, you know there's an impossibility about the the seesaw, and that is you both, you both can't be up and you both can't be down at the same time. So when, when one ascends, and you're, you're, you know, three steps ahead of me, but when one ascends, the other descends, and you can't do both at the same time. It is, um, it just would defy the laws of the seesaw. And in some real sense, what, what the apostle John is helping us understand in his gospel, and then what John the Baptist is helping us understand by not only his statement, but his life, is I'm not in competition with Jesus. I'm not trying to see who, who can be up the longest. He said there, there is something that is an essential 
And that essential is what we have made our series for these next few weeks. We've titled this series, He Must, He Must Increase. This is not one of those, do you know in the Christian life, one of those things that's really good is if, it's not that idea. He puts it in such dogmatic terms that there's no getting around it. He, he in a sense, is, is putting something directly in the face of John the Baptist's followers. And he's saying, listen, there, there's no other way. This is the priority. This is the essential. Now, last week, we addressed what we called the prerequisites. Okay, what are those things essential before I really get to this? He must increase. And we said some of the prerequisites were first uh, uh, some things that we had to know and we had to know who we are. Who are we? And John got it. He knew who he was. And because he knew who he was, the ongoing prerequisite was you have to know who you are not. Okay, I, I, I know who I am. That means because this is who I am, I also know who I am not. God, you have placed me in your economy, in your plan, for your purposes. You've placed me somewhere. I know who I am. And God, because I know who I am, I also know who I am not. And then we kind of wrap that up is with the idea of the prerequisite of you have to know what you're here to do. To what end have I come? God, what is your plan for my life? And, and these things are essential before we ever truly get to the place of he must increase. Those are some of the prerequisites. And now we get ourselves to the place that, that tonight we'll talk about the priorities. The priorities. What then are the priorities for this aspect of he must increase? These are things, again, these are non-negotiables. You don't get to stand back and say, uh, you know, this is kind of like a buffet and I'm just gonna choose a little bit of this, God, and I'll choose a little bit of this and this kind of fits really nicely into how I see myself serving you. He, he says, th th these are not the ways that we approach this matter of he must increase. These are the priorities. Let's like we did last week, let's just say John 3.30 together. I'll say the reference, then let's say the verse together. You have it in your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Let's say it one more time, John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease the priorities. Let's look at a couple of them tonight. First of all, the priority of what we'll call departure. The priority of departure. Now your Bibles are open right now. John chapter three, look down at verse number, beginning at verse number 22, the departure. Now, let me give some context before we jump into the passage. You're, you're turning or you're gonna look. What I mean by this is, is, all right, it's time for me to let go of something. You know, I told you about my, some of my childhood and, and the playground and Lincoln Elementary School. Um, man, I remember a lot of things about my childhood. I, I had a yellow blanket when I was a little kid and I still can vividly picture the, the blanket in my mind. I don't have that anymore, okay. 
I'm not trying to be silly about this, but it's obvious. When the Bible says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So again, the the obvious aspect of the illustration that biblically is being presented is it'd be strange for a grown man of, of reasonable understanding to cling to those things that may have provided some value and benefit were appropriate in his childhood, but it's, it's time to let that go. Okay, let's, let's advance further now into the Christian walk. And we're not necessarily talking about things that just have to do with childhood and manhood. Now we're talking about, okay, God, what is it that I have to move beyond? I did enjoy that. That was valuable. That was a good time. But if you have to increase and I have to find a new place in, in your economy, in your kingdom, are you asking me to let go of something that I have so enjoyed? Something that you look back on and you say, man, that was, I really like that. Or I, I want that again. Don't you see how John the Baptist, as, as that teeter-totter starts to shift, don't you see how John the Baptist now could be processing in his mind wow, man, I I feel like I I like being on the higher end of that than on the lower end. There's something that I had that is no longer mine. I used to enjoy some ascendancy. I was the rising star. And now it seems like I crested and things are heading in the opposite direction. There's something that I am missing that I once had and and it seems like that's being taken away from me. That there is this now priority of departure. Okay, notice what he says, John chapter three, verse number 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. Okay, so, so here we've got, we've got now a, a couple different things that are happening. Now, prior to this time, remember, John's not completely off the scene. He's not at the bottom of the, but there seems to be a different direction. He's descending now and Jesus is increasing. And now where all the multitudes were coming exclusively to John, now there are two groups now, I'm, I'm not. John is no longer the center of the religious attention. He's not exclusively the talk of the town. He's not the place where everyone has to go to hear a good sermon. Because somebody else is preaching a really good sermon right now. You, you know, you just can't help but think that John starts to process like, wow, Things are, things are changing and they're changing dramatically. And, and wow, how am I with this change? Both the disciples of John, the disciples of Jesus are baptizing, but, but there is this subtle change, this shift that's taking place. All that they had worked for, John's disciples, seems to be slowly deteriorating from before their eyes. So what, what's the problem? Look, look at verse number 25. John chapter three, verse number 25. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Okay, this seems like it's almost obscure. 
Like, where in the world does this come from? Because when you go past this, you know, you're reading John 3, 25, and then you just go right past it. And it's like, it's almost like you just skip right over it. Verse number 26, uh, and they came to John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that is beyond the, they they don't appear to even address the question. what, What is going on with this question? Okay, so let's speculate. And I'm acknowledging this is pure speculation. Okay, the speculation is the Jews come to John's disciples and they have a question about purifying. Now, again, baptism in John's day, even the baptism of Jesus's disciples was not the same as what we call believer's baptism today. It was a ceremonial washing, a baptism that would be a picture of, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm readying myself. I'm, I'm presenting myself as ceremonially clean. If you go to Israel, you can even see some of these places of, of baptizing in a ceremonial sense where there wouldn't be much water. Now, John's at a place, they can go down, they, they can actually be submerged in the water, but, but man, there were places where you would walk down one side, actual steps carved into what we would refer to as the baptistry, the pool. You'd walk down in and then you turn around and you walk up another side. Like I went in, you know, unclean, And now I'm coming out with the picture of cleansing. So, you know, John, the Jews are saying to John's disciples, uh, you know, your baptism, do you think it's as effective as the baptism of Jesus and his disciples? Is yours as good as his? Because there is a clear shift in the multitudes. Those that once flocked to John, now there's a new message in town and there's somebody else baptizing. So, hey, is, is John's as, as good as Jesus's? Now, again, that's speculation, but it is interesting and somewhat insightful that immediately after the Jews come to John's disciples and say, hey, uh, we've got some questions about purifying. It's interesting that the very next thing that they do is they start to question John regarding the matter of Jesus and his baptism. You know, again, we don't know a lot about the question. Usually I find this insightful, at least for me, the question or the issue at hand is seldom the real issue at hand. I don't know that when John's disciples go to John and say, hey, we've got, a, we've got a real question for you. And it's a serious question about Jesus and his baptism because the Jews are talking. Do you know how when someone comes to you and says, everybody's talking about, okay. Uh, they're all talking about, we've had a lot of people come to us and ask this question. So we're just concerned, uh, uh, John, uh, tell us about, you know, the, the, the issue that they're asking about is not really the issue. I find that if I have some issue with me, I find issues to ask about. I find them. When there's some issue going on with me, I can see an issue anywhere. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the real problem is, and you know, it's so sad, a part of what's happening with, and now the issue is really not me and my heart. The issue is everybody around me. And I don't know this. And again, please know, I, I am offering speculation, so... Forgive the, the length of the speculation, but man, sometimes I wonder if, if what happens with me was happening with John's disciples. And then notice what he's trying to address. This is again, the priority of departure. I've got to let go of some things. Look down at verse number 26. And they came unto John and said unto him, now notice the word they use, Rabbi, he that, is, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, 
Behold, the same baptizeth and all men come to him. This is right after the Jews asked the question about purifying. Did you notice that they use a title for John? And again, this is just an observation, but the only person with whom the term rabbi is ever used other than Jesus is used right here. We, we don't even have that recorded regarding the disciples earlier. They, and I'm not trying to make too much of this, but rabbi, teacher, master, Lord. Every other time the term is used, it's used exclusively of Jesus. And then when he, when he resurrects, rabboni, even an elevated sense. But now uh, as if they're kind of defending John, uh, Rabbi, uh, teacher, you're our master. You are our Lord. Uh, they're all going to Jesus. So w- w- what should we do about this? This is the priority of just letting go. Listen, you're trying to hold on to something that, that God has not put in your hands. There's not, there's not many people in here that don't find it easy to recognize the good hand of God, the good blessing of God, Not many people in here that don't recognize that when when you get promoted to a bigger office. And when someone says, hey, you got a raise or here we want you to take on some new things because of your skill set and hey, you're doing so well with. There's not many that don't understand like, wow, God, you've blessed in so many ways. But we don't seem to sense the same blessing and favor of God when someone comes and says, hey, we're gonna remove that class from you. Man, I no, I love teaching that class. Yeah, I know, but, but this next semester, you're going to be doing, uh, well, man, I, you know, um, one of the reasons I came that God directed me here was to be able to, uh, hey, um, uh, we've got a new guy coming in and uh, this new guy at whatever place of employment is yours. And uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna shift this responsibility over to, whoa, those are the kind of things that kind of dig deep because, man, I, I, I thought I was, the, I was the one that was getting all the, you know, the shout out. I was the one getting the pat on the back. I was the one getting the, but there, there is a priority here and we can't get too far from it. This is the priority of just letting go. It appears that John's disciples are, frustrated that more and more people are following Jesus, leaving them. The teeter-totter had begun to shift. And how easily offended we can become, even feigning some spiritual reason that is actually defending our own promotion. John had been the recipient of all the attention. His disciples were gonna do their very best to preserve it. It may be that they had hitched their star to John's ascendance, and they were gonna do everything they could to see that star continue to rise. And what John is doing now for his disciples was to remind them of why they were doing what they are doing. At times we can forget about our own priority of not becoming the first priority. At times we can forget about the priority of not us becoming the first priority. John was helping his disciples know that the priority remained the same, not the promotion of self, but the promotion of the savior. He goes on, he gives them another priority. That's the priority of delighting in another. 
this is not just the priority of letting go. This is the priority of shifting our focus. Wow, to delight in another. So he gives them this reminder. Look at verse 27 and 28. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Okay, listen, John's saying, I'm reminding you of something. Okay, you don't have anything but what was given to you. You don't have anything. Okay, listen, you're, you're looking at me right now. The disciples were looking at John like, John, come on, man. We gotta, we, there's something we got to fight for. We've had those big crowds and, and you're the one really that even recognized Jesus. So, so you've done your part, but we still got to. And John's saying, no, whatever we had, whatever we were called to do, that was given to us by God. We, we have what we have only because of him. There's nothing valuable in us. It's only valuable because of what he's called us to do. So whatever part he has for us to play, that's our priority. There is a shifting focus. And now wherever God wants us to focus, that's where we have to be willing to do the same. John wasn't saying, Jesus is pretty lucky to have me on his team. He better continue to share a little bit of that limelight because if he doesn't remember, I did have it first. That's not what John's doing. John's saying, hey, listen, I know there was a spotlight on me, but I had it because that was God's desire for a time. And, and that spotlight may start to shift. I, I, I may be asked, hey, could you, would you mind stepping over there? Oh, well, you know, I, this is my spotlight. Yeah, I know. Can you, could, do you mind stepping over? See, you and I seem to like, what do I have to protect? Because I've had something, I want something. And John's not saying, Jesus, you're pretty lucky to have me. Instead, he's saying, I'm so grateful for what God has allowed me to do. But in my ascendance, I thank him. And in my decline, I do the same. It's exactly what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth. For who maketh thee to differ from one another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? He says, listen, everything you have, you have from the good hand of God. So if God places something or removes something, it really is God's business. All of us seem to feel the good pleasure of God when our trajectory appears to be in the upward direction. But John seemed to sense the pleasure of God regardless of his direction. So he's just reminding his disciples that he wasn't the Christ and he never pretended to be. There's something that he's doing. He's just kind of redirecting. Look down at verse number 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. Do you know what John sees himself as? John sees himself as like the best man for the bridegroom. He's just the one who, okay, I got to take care of this detail, this detail, and um, I'm going I'm to do things. In fact, there, there may be some high visibility for me for a while, but there's coming a point when the bridegroom comes, and as soon as he comes, man, I just step back into the, 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 the recesses, the sides of the stage, because the bridegroom is going to take center stage. And isn't this so interesting? We don't have time to, to cover this, but the picture of Jesus and his bride, even as we transition from old covenant to new covenant, 
It's really profound if you start to, to just look at all the things that are being covered in this passage of scripture. And John just says, okay, there's some redirection that's gonna take place here. Have you ever been to a wedding where one of the attendants, in a sense, tried to steal the show? I'm not trying to be silly about this. It's just a little awkward. Because here, there is a couple, there's a bride and a groom that are supposed to receive, like, like we're gathered for them. And then someone else who's supposed to be there in a supporting role, they don't understand their role. And now they're, they're trying to kind of assert themselves in ways that everyone is standing off to the side saying, it's really, that's not, their, that's not their place. John was not gonna be that attendant that had to continually force himself into the picture. John is the person who stands off to the side. Now, maybe the photographer says, hey, no, 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 we want you in this picture as well. But he's not standing there asked to be, you know, could you stand off to the side? The last thing that's in this passage, and we'll mention it briefly, it's simply the priority of diminishing self. We see the priority of departure, just letting go. The, the priority of delighting in another. Now this priority of diminishing self. And we get again to our, our text in John 3.30. He must, he must increase, but I must decrease. I, I mention it too often, so my pardon. But I loved camping. And um, I've grown up, I've always loved camping. I mean, you know, in a tent, go out someplace and hike. And I did a lot of hiking, just um, hiking and then tent camping. Just set up a tent and hike and camp in the wilderness of Colorado. And one of the things that I always look forward to, of course, is building a fire, because you build a fire out in the middle of nowhere and um, you watch the sparks fly upward and you warm your hands and you melt the soles of your boots and, you know, it's just great fun. And then to let the fire die and it's just a glow. And then to lean back in, you know, your little camp chair and look up and see the splendor of the night sky. There's no other competing lights. You're not in town you're not at a place where there's all what we call light pollution, you know. It's just, it's just you and the stars, and it's spectacular. And you watch a shooting star just take off across the sky. It's just, it's spectacular. I always look forward to it. I always loved it. But I will tell you, as much as I love the beauty of the night sky, I don't want to trade it for the rising of the sun. And I would get up early, it's still dark outside. And that fire now, if you stir it, you can get it going again. And now the stars begin to fade. And you can look out over a spectacular horizon. And there may be mountains or forestry or rocks in the distance. And then all of a sudden, you see that glow just a subtle glow. And when the glow starts to rise, the, the splendor of the night sky begins to dissipate. And, and it comes higher and higher of, of grander splendor until finally that sun is fully past the horizon and it's 
just ablaze. And the stars that were so beautiful are lost in the splendor of the sun. You, you may be what others have called a rising star. But please know that you are no replacement for the sun. John's not some trifling individual. He's not some unimportant, just part of the grand story. John is the one of whom Jesus said, of those born among women, there is none greater. But John also knew there is a priority in this economy and the priority, even for those who wanted to stroke his ego, even for those who wanted to fight for what they once had, even for those who would tell him all day long, John, you're a far better preacher than Jesus. John understood he must increase. And so God, whatever part you have for me to play in this drama, I am ready to play that part because Jesus Christ must. And you know, it's easier for us to say and a little more challenging for us to do. But may we at least say, God, make me willing. Prepare me for the eventuality that in ways I am not fully comfortable with, but for the advancement of Jesus Christ. May I not seek to keep my star burning brightly. Father, Jesus must increase, which means in the teeter-totter equation, I must decrease.